beginning. All right, welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black, and here we are doing a podcast, doing another one, another um, opportunity to find out a little bit more about a guest that we have on. So let's just get right into it. So her name is Tenzilla Taz Ahmed. Um, so she is an activist, storyteller, published writer, and politico based in Los Angeles. She currently is a campaign strategist at the Asian American News Media Organizing Group, 18 Million Rising. Taz was honored in 2016 the, as a White House champion of change for AAPI art and storytelling. She is co-host of the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast that has been featured in Oprah Magazine, Wired, and BuzzFeed, as well as live shows recorded at South by Southwest and the White House. Taz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I heard about you through actually another guest that came in on here, the So Dreamy uh, women, Rachel and Hannah. They mentioned you on the Terrible Thanks for Asking podcast. And so I, mm-hmm. I went and listened to it. And lo and behold, you talk about grief dreams that you've had. I do. Yes. And so I was uh, actually really enjoyed the episode. So I'm really happy you get to come on here to talk about dreams some more and your grief process. Yeah, that was a fun podcast. They have a really interesting process um, because Nora just kind of asks you all these questions. And then in post, they like unravel it into this like beautifully produced narrative. I was, I was incredibly moved by that experience. Yeah, there is something beautiful about doing it the way that she does it rather than the free-flowing conversation like we're having. But this is still as good, and hopefully this turns out just as well. This is going to be fine. It's just fine. It's just fine. <laughs> Don't jinx us, Taz. <laughs> and so one thing I have learned from you uh, from listening to that episode is that you grew up in Bangladesh. Is that true? No, no, no. I grew oh, up in what? Southern California. <laughs> what happened? Where did I get that? Your parents, <laughs> your parents grew up in Bangladesh? Yeah, yeah, my parents are. Oh, from okay, okay, yeah. So like, maybe you know, I mis- mistook that. Okay. They moved out here, um, you know, and my dad moved out here in 1971, and my mom moved out here in 1978. Yeah, I'm born and bred in LA. Oh, okay. Amazing. And so, what got you into social activism? I know that's one of the things you're doing right now, currently doing. Was that something you've always, you know, been a big part of your life, or was it something that grew because of certain circumstances in your life? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I always wanted to make a difference in the world. I think that's part of my religious belief and kind of the thing that the ethical value I just kind of kept with me. Um, But when I was in college, how I interpreted that was I was going to get like an environmental engineering degree and, you know, save the world by creating environmental structures or or whatever I was thinking about at the time. But I failed physics twice. So engineering was not the career for me. And I ended up getting a degree in environmental studies. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to save the world by saving the environment. And um, I went to DC. I worked there for a couple of years at an environmental nonprofit. I was, you know, getting out the vote on college campuses for the environment. And soon after I moved to DC was when September 11th happened. And when September 11th happened, I really had to come to terms with what it meant to be a brown person and a Muslim American just because of all the racial profiling that was happening and the anti-brown backlash that was happening. And I started really thinking about where my skills were needed. So I ended up starting a 
nonprofit called South Asian American Voting Youth when I was 24. I was like two years out of D.C. And no one was really doing electoral work for South Asians and Muslims at the time. So it was definitely, I was one of the first people doing, for one of the first waves of people doing this work. And I've been working in some capacity around voter engagement and electoral politics for Asian and South Asians ever since. Did you find being um, a Muslim in this country, sorry, in America, um, I think it's very similar to situation in Canada. Do you find you had to do a lot of educating on what a Muslim actually is during your time, especially after kind of like the 9-11 attacks and the shift of tide, so to speak? A little bit. Um, I wasn't really speaking to non-Muslims, though. I was speaking to, I was trying to register South Asians to go out and vote. And I was, you know, getting up, like talking to Muslim people about like how important it was for them to participate in democracy. So because my target audience was, you know, it was more about empowering brown people to be a part of the American electoral process. I didn't really have to educate them about themselves. <laughs> so it was more about like uh, empowering them to participate. Oh, that's incredible. And uh, I think it's it's even more, um, it's even more of an amazing thing because, you know, I think obviously we know the stats around young people voting. Um, you know, the same thing happens in Canada where generally just young people just don't get out there as, as, as much as they could. Totally. Or as much, yeah, as much as they should. Um, what was that reception like um, amongst the community? Um, I mean, like amongst the young people, like like it was the same as like other kinds of young people. Like they were just like, oh, voting's not important. Voting's mm. not cool. Um, this was during the 2004 election. So uh, it was the first election um, since September 11th. And I think it was the it was the Bush carry election. So it was the second second go for Bush, I believe. And it was it was just selection. It was also the. The Iraq war had just started because the president had used that used 9-11 as an excuse to go to the Middle East like that. I was just thinking about that because I think it's a 12-year anniversary. It's some sort of like anniversary for the start of the Iraq war. Anyways, I totally got derailed. What was your question again? <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. We can uh, move forward. I think you're answering it. But um, it just got me thinking um, of like what it must be like to be you because, you know, I, I have a similar journey, whereas my parents emigrated uh, to Canada in the 70s and I was born in Canada. And uh, for myself, it's interesting because it feels like, you know, during that time when I was growing up, there just wasn't as much attention. Uh, there definitely wasn't negative attention uh, so much on, on, I guess, just brown people in general. So what was that like and what's that like now? kind of having things turn, I guess, the climate kind of shifted into more of a negative talk around uh, what it means to be brown or even Muslim. I think the climate's shifted to negative, but also to positive. I think one of, it was just, when I was growing up, the, what it meant to be brown in America was just kind of ignored. Like, like the, everyone was a doctor or engineer. You didn't see South Asians in entertainment at all. If you did, they, it was like, you know, Aladdin or like uh, Haji to Johnny Five or uh, uh, was was the guy number nine on Short Circuit. You know, it was these like really like exotified like brown characters. So yeah. there was no like actual representation. There was no one running for political office. You would see brown people, but they would be like your doctors, you know, in the middle of nowhere. 
And so I think one of the things that happened recently, both inspired by September 11th, but also just, I think, just population growth is like there's more political activation of brown people. Now there's like so many South Asians that are running for office. Um, We have a South Asian running for president, you know, in this next go, Kamala Harris is half South Asian. And then you also have like a representation in media and pop culture, um, which is great. You know, there's all these like amazing movies coming out where South Asians are being represented. And on top of that, we're also getting this backlash of hate. So I definitely think that like, it's kind of twofolds. It's, it's, it's a double layer of both positive and negative. But altogether, it's been really interesting to see this journey that this community's been on. Yeah, most definitely. And I think with any, um, I guess, relatively new immig- immigrant group that's growing and growing, um, there can be fears, there can be uh, apprehensions and, and just uh, ignorance at large. Um, and I think that uh, just, you know, for young people and for you to support young people and, and to get out politically, um, it's great because it just, you know, you need community leaders, you need uh, people, members of the community who do have a voice for everybody else. And if you have growing populations in, in Canada and the United, United States, it just helps everybody that that people are organized and, and willing to kind of have their uh, hopes, dreams and, and wishes uh, spoken for. Yeah, absolutely. And I also really love how in like Canada, the South Asian narrative is just slightly different than the U.S. I feel like you have a stronger voice in entertainment up there than you do in down here, which is really interesting to see. Oh, it's interesting. Um, I honestly, I don't, uh, I don't know as much about the United States uh, entertainment uh, industry for South Asians. I, I kind of grew up uh, in, obviously watching Canadian shows, watching Canadian programming. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we definitely have uh, our, our stars and people that kind of represent uh, what, what Canadian South Asian means. Well, one of your Canadian South Asians is going to be on one of our late night TV shows as of this week. Lily Singh <laughs> yes. is going to take over Carson Daly's spot, which is really interesting and awesome. It's phenomenal. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think people can, we could start to break out of these stereotypes. Break out of yeah. what what classical you know Indian characters. Oh, it's the funny guy who runs a convenience store, or you know, it's it's the one guy on that you know Bang Bang Theory who who has an accent, tells mm-hmm. jokes, and uh, here's here's this person who represents a bigger segment of population, and and a woman at that mm-hmm. who can break multiple barriers, which which is it's it's just phenomenal, and I, I wish her all the best. Yeah, I do too. I'm really excited to see what she does with it. I've been following her YouTube channel for a while. I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to translate to TV. Yeah. So, you know, like, I think this is very interesting, just the, the conversation. Um, but I also, I want to move over to your, your podcast because you have a podcast, hashtag good Muslim, bad Muslim. Did yeah. you guys ever wonder, did you guys ever debate on if you should like keep the hashtag or because <laughs> sometimes. I know, we, we, we definitely have been debating this hashtag thing. So now we just don't. It doesn't come up in conversations. We just go with whatever people tell us or however people refer to us. But, you know, the reason why we started as a hashtag was because our podcast started off as a joke and we would just use that hashtag on Twitter. It's actually Good Muslim, Bad Muslim is the name of this really popular academic book that talks about how Muslims are kind of put in this conundrum between 
being good and bad. So that hashtag was being used in pop culture uh, around five, six years ago. So we would use that hashtag and we just, me and Zara Nurbash, my co-host for Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, we'd just like send each other jokey tweets with that hashtag saying, next time on the hashtag Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast, we're going to talk about burqa bikinis and just be like really facetious about it. And uh, we both have a lot of followers and they were like, we we looked for this podcast. We couldn't find it. And I was like, we were making fun of the fact that there's a podcast for everything out there. And then Zara's a stand-up and she was like, we need a podcast. I was like, I don't know, man. I, I don't really do too much. I don't want to like enter this <laughs> other world. And um, we we had a friend volunteer to do our sound and and we started it up and it, it was, it kind of exploded. It was amazing. That's funny. It's interesting how things get started, right? Like you, you had no yeah. intention going in, but the fans wanted it and you gave it to fans them. Wanted so. it. Yeah. I feel like most of my, most of the things that I do in life are driven by like, hashtags on twitter and jokes that get turned into real life things that's funny that's interesting and so what's your journey been like doing it so far because i'm guessing you might have had nerves going in is there is it is there anything that you've learned from doing that that you're surprised about oh yeah so much um i don't think we had nerves going i think we definitely like we I, we definitely knew what we were getting into in some ways just because we, we both like came from doing things very publicly before. So I think we just kind of like rolled, rolled that into this podcast. But I think that just like the, the more surprising thing is, is how, like how much time it takes to produce a podcast. I didn't expect talking about hate crimes would affect me emotionally as much as it does. That's a thing. We very much center our narrative in the podcast. So we don't define terms. We don't explain terms. We expect that everyone has Google and can look up terms. And so I think we were one of the first to do that on our show. Now, now there's a lot of Muslim podcasts out there and no one really defines anything. Everyone's all about like centering the narrative. But at the time we started, we, we really had to have this conversation. We're like, well, are we defining terms? Who is this podcast for? like how are we putting it out there so that was another learning experience and just like the the tech, technical aspects of podcasting was all fresh and new to us and that's been changing very rapidly so we would record on a blue mic and garage band on our Macs, which is how we started like the first three years of our podcast and now we're we have like a studio that we go into um, but just that technical aspect is the thing that I find the most confusing and just trying to figure all that stuff out has been really difficult. Yeah. So how long have you been doing now? Is it five years, six years? Yeah. This is year five. Whoa. Yeah. That's... I know. Most podcasts don't last this long. No, that's true. That's very true. They start off and they sort of fizzle, um, but good for you guys to staying strong and sort of being one of the first, right. To, to yeah. talk about this subject matter. And it's, I've listened to a couple episodes and it's pretty funny. You guys have a really, you can tell you guys are friends, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a good banter back and forth. <laughs> yeah. What, what I love about it is that we're friends and we're also very different from each other. I think, you know, Zara and I met when we were doing the book tour for Love Inshallah, which is this anthology book about the secret love lives of American Muslim women. And when we had started our, our podcast, it was really like a lot of people were expecting there to be only one narrative coming from Muslim women. And Zara and I are so different from each other. I think that comes across in our show. And I think that's what makes our show interesting. But it was also like, 
I think people weren't ready for that. They just were like, oh, Muslim women are all going to have the same thoughts and same ideas on everything. And Zara and I are so very different that that comes across in the show. Yeah, I, I think it's just so important for um, the health of the country as a whole. If, if obviously people get to know Muslims a little better and you guys mm -hmm. do that, you know, it, it's <laughs> growing up. I've had a lot of Muslim friends and, you know, once you get into that world and you know you understand more about islam understand more about your friends you you realize hey it's just like everything else there's so many different types of muslims and and i think that's so amazing that you guys do that because i imagine you know your friend coming from a different background you coming from a different background mm -hmm. that's a lot to a lot of content that you can bring to people and, and again start that narrative what you know for me it's just like you know how you remove fear and hate is through knowledge and power and and, and learning you know, and I think that that's uh, that's one big tool, uh, if you will, for you guys moving forward to, to use that. And and yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely did. Well, I must have thought of it as a tool somewhat, um, but I don't think we really thought of it as a tool. Because we just wanted to have a conversation like like everyone else gets to have conversations that are just themselves. <laughs> everyone else has a podcast just about themselves without having to educate the masses. And so that's really how we like have our conversations. But like if people in their in their eavesdropping of our podcast, if they can learn something, then that's a good thing too. I'm saying that, but also as an activist, I feel like everything I do in this world is has some sort of an activist angle. And I'm trying to trying to change the world with every every, you know, breath of my being, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think as 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 also like you kind of as a creative person, as, as an artist, you know, essentially you've, that, that's a part of being an artist, being creative is your work being shown. Yeah. Like I always, I think like if you make a song or if you make a painting, like it's, it's like kind of half of it, you know, people need to see it. And, you know, you obviously had that, you maybe not, maybe didn't vo vocalize the intention, but I think the intention was there uh, given your backgrounds and given the fact that you started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, otherwise it would have been called two friends talking <laughs> <laughs> which is like half the podcasting world honestly no well, honestly and when you approach it like you guys did i think genuine you know and, and that's something me and joshua we, we approached it like that like you know let's just see how where this goes let's have fun doing it let's have genuine conversations and if it's successful fine if it's not then we go from there and yeah. i think when you start with with you know without any kind of overarching mo motivations but if you just start genuinely uh with your own selves and kind of work from that and work just having fun i think that a lot can grow out of that and your character kind of speaks through that um yeah as a whole yeah yeah i definitely think so i'm curious i didn't see like have you talked about dreams yet on your podcast i'm good muslim bad muslim yeah um i don't think so i think I don't think it's ever really come up in our show. I think Zara and I are very different in that sense. I think there's like, I don't actually know what kind of dreams she has. Like <laughs> we have had a conversation about ghosts. We, and she doesn't believe in ghosts and I definitely believe in ghosts. And so in that conversation about ghosts, we definitely had this conversation about like people who've passed on and do we believe they linger if they don't linger? Whereas, uh, I don't know. It's really, I, it's just, unfathomable to me that she doesn't believe in <laughs> things that happen after people die i don't know well i think i think it's interesting and you're saying like 
but what does and what does the religion say? Does it talk about it at all? I know, yeah, like, the, yeah. Okay. I think that was one of the things is that, like, you know, she doesn't believe in angels or devils. You know, like she just. And I was just like, wow, it sounds like kind of like you're an atheist in some ways. <laughs> um, and so we've definitely had that conversation. She's like, I'm not, and I believe in things. And I was, she's like, I just don't believe in angels and ghosts. I was like, well, but that's like a tenant of Islam. So I don't know. I also think it, that people change, and I think that like she's been changing some of her perspectives too. Yeah, it's not the beauty of the podcast or just like chatting with your friends about even your own faith or this yeah. faith in general. Like you realize because it's not something that you normally would talk about. It's usually like you you go to your your synagogue, your church, or or your uh, your mosque, and that's the only time you really you hear some stuff about it. But then you go home and you never mention it again for for the most yeah. part. And so, like, for I think to sit down and have those conversations with your friend, I think that's it. Like, it can move both of you in different directions and make you think a little differently about what is like. I mean, how do I really define you know a Muslim or just being a Muslim? Yeah, and how do I define like what do I believe? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a lot of what we converse about on our show. Yeah, we I, I don't really have these kinds of conversations with anyone else normally. <laughs> But after that conversation, I started asking everyone, I was like, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in angels? Like, who who doesn't? Like, I don't know. I just kind of assumed everyone believed in angels. I didn't think that was like, I don't know. We were also in New Orleans when, when that conversation was happening because we went on a ghost tour. So we did an episode that was uh, live from the ghost tour. So in that in that ghost tour is when we have these conversations, which I think is kind of, was a fun template to have these combos so have you ever seen a ghost or you just believe in ghosts um i think that's a complicated question because like seeing is visual i think i've definitely had feelings of things happening um like things like move and stuff or or just like uh, you feel a touch or something well so in my dad's house growing up it's this like California ranch house is like a four bedroom house. And I kind of had the the corner room and I've on and off lived up in that house for many years. So one, I think, I don't even remember when I was in that room. I was in that room when my uh, youngest sister was away at, to college and her room was empty and her room is right next to mine. And I, uh, around five in the morning, I heard three knocks on the wall. And it sounded like it was kind of coming from outside, but also kind of coming from the head of my bed. And it was just like, 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 like three knocks, just like, like that. And I looked at, I think it was like 5 a.m. And I obviously was really scared. Um, I, and I forced myself to go back to sleep. And then I experienced this in that room a few more times. And I I think um, it always happened when that room was empty. And so then I asked, I have two younger sisters that are in that house on and off too. And I asked uh, my other sister whose bedroom is across the hall. I was like, did you hear anything? And she's like, no, I didn't hear anything. You're you're going crazy. And I was like, okay, so I'm the only one in this family that's been hearing these three knocks on the wall. And then, so I just like remember like just really trying hard to sleep through the night because the knock always happened around 5 a.m. And then, then I left the house and then my two sisters were there and then my room was empty and then my youngest sister heard the knock from coming from my room and it was also three knocks and it was also like early in the morning and then 
she also thought it was my other sister. My other sister's like, you two are going berserks. And then uh, eventually everyone in my family heard the knocks. I think my mom did too, my mom and my dad. And so no one in the family was doing that. That was, That's confirmed. And we also, and my aunt, or sorry, my cousin stayed over once and she heard the knocks too. So, you know, like those kinds of things have happened in my life where you don't see things, but like something happened. Uh, we realize that when we talk about that presence and we're inside the house, someone will get some sort of an interaction at night. So we just have made it a point not to bring it up in the house. And we haven't really heard anything since then. Gonna say just to leave the ghost alone. <laughs> yeah, I think we like, I've talked to psychics before and they're like, just say, stop bothering me and they'll go away. And I was like, all right. But um, I mean, I kind of believe that, like, just don't draw that energy and then just say like, go away. So I, I think we haven't heard it for like, maybe like three, four years. Just kind of good. Yeah, it's interesting when when you bring up like ghosts around or just even the concept of ghosts around people. I know I did it at my one of my family functions. I think it was Christmas or something. And I'm like, hey, do you guys do you guys believe in uh have you guys ever experienced a ghost or whatever? And they like a lot of them they had stories. Like everyone had like these different stories of like seeing these like I guess, you know, ghosts around. And like I had my own when I was a, a child too that um, really scared me and what was really interesting about that was my brother saw the same ghost so it wasn't just like oh, wow. my imagination like he actually saw it too so it's like oh man like so there's something don't know what's going on but you know like but it wasn't until i i think i think i tried to i was so afraid of it just because like yeah. my my parents were pretty religious and they they put it on like it was the devil kind of thing yeah same. so oh the same thing for you mm-hmm. yeah so it was only like after i started to expand my I guess my consciousness or my awareness of, you know, what is possible and dreams help me, then things started to change in my mind. And so I'm curious for you, when did, um, do you, I'm pretty sure you value dreams or you've have, you have dreams frequently. Yeah. I think like my dreams have always really um, been very powerful and powerful to the point where I get so immersed in my dreams that I actually try really hard not to remember my dreams anymore. Otherwise I don't feel like I ever like, you know, in, in, re- in the real world or I get too stuck in the past or in my dream world. But after, and this is like where I like kind of have that questions about ghosts. Cause I feel like there's like the creepy scary ghost or presence or whatever. But then like after my mom died, like I was really seeking her out like I wanted to feel her and I feel like I mean like I feel like that's not a ghost I feel like that's just mom you know like just like getting a message from mom but I guess like by certain definitions of a ghost that would be a ghost but I don't think she's a ghost I think she's just like I don't know this is like that like belief the circular conversation around beliefs and what do you believe you know you could say you could say people you don't know it's a ghost and people you do (laughs) it's them right (laughs) friendly spirit (laughs) you know um, yeah no that's that's a good point and i think that look there's no there's no manual there's no profiles like it's not like we have like booklets that tell us exactly what bad ghosts are like what good ghosts are like and uh i think that's the the, the mystery we currently sit in until science can help us out and maybe help us understand that a little better. But uh, right. it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. And, and, you know, it, it religion kind of um, it's all there. It's all, you know, a lot of aspects of religion are like that where 
some things you kind of maybe don't, I guess, uh, adhere to as much because you just you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, so I, I, I have that background. But there might be some things that maybe, you know, you just read the Bible and you're looking through it and you're like, ah, really? Ah, I'm not yeah. really sure. I'm not sure yet. And I think that, uh, again, that that just plays into what, what faith is about. And and honestly, like we we also live in a very scientific world. You know, we, we're very um, that's like I like to say that's the new religion, science. And um, so we're, we're so kind of deep in that world that when something mysterious happens, we really struggle with it. We really try to put it into a box we can define. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so I think that's the again, it's, it's just a mystery and a, a, a really interesting thing of life right now. Yeah, I, I definitely I think I must have been more scientific minded before mom died. But then after I was just like, like all of a sudden, all of my, you know, boxed in beliefs just kind of broke open. And then and then I was like, well, if I, you know, if I believe that she's still around, then like, how am I going to talk to her? Mm-hmm. One of the really interesting things, I think, for me was that my middle sister, she uh, I think she has more attuned psychic abilities or her abilities are different than mine. So when, right after my mom died, my sister said she could actually feel mom petting her head or rubbing her back. So she could like physically feel um, her presence. And I was really jealous of that because I wanted to feel her presence too. But I think for me, my power is in my dreams. So I think that's so, and I, I kind of knew that. And I, I think I ended up talking actually to a psychic about it. And they're like, well, she's not going to come to you the same way she comes to your sister. She's going to come to you in different ways. So after I had those conversations, I really was just like, okay, I'm going to like try to try to get mom to visit me in my dreams. And uh, that was a really interesting process. <laughs> and so what was that like? So how did you try? Did you like write letters to her? Did you like try to meditate on getting a dream? Like, so what was I that? think I did. I think I was trying yeah. to meditate. Um, I heard had heard somewhere that you like, you know, just think about the person before you go to sleep. And I, I was just, I think that's that maybe all I actually did. But I was uh, really trying. Yeah. Did you ever pray? I probably did. One? Yeah. I would imagine I did at the time. And I think the first time, because there's, I think when someone visits you in your dream, there's like. There's like the one where it's like they're in your dream, but that's not actually a visit. But then if they come to your dream and it's an actual visit, like you can tell, like, because I dream a lot about a lot of people in my life, but I know those aren't visits to my dream, but I could tell when this dream was my mom visiting me. And so I I don't even know how to tell. I think it's it's something about like how you make eye contact in dream or just how you could feel things are different or what's, what's the term that they use for when you're like able to maneuver yourself in dreams, like one of those kinds of things. And I think the the first time she came to my dream, oh my gosh, it was so scary because I remember I was, it was like a dream of being in this, like in that same house. And uh, I, I don't even know if we were in a car, or if we were on the street, but the way she had manifested herself in my dream, she was, she looked like a dead body. She was looked like a zombie and it was so scary. And it was such a nightmare to see her in this in this dead body kind of a way. And then I think, uh, you know, how you, how you have multiple dreams in a night. I saw her come back in a dream in the way that I remembered her, maybe like in the next dream later. And she, 
I think we were sitting in a car looking at the ocean. She was talking about, she's like, I'm sorry that I came back like that. And I was just like, oh, that's like, that's so weird that that would be an occurrence, which I guess in my mind kind of makes sense. Like if you're dead and you're visiting someone, you don't know how your body's going to look and how you need your body to look when you go visit someone in a dream. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> that's interesting. And so I'm curious since you, since you like had a dream of her dead body, did you see her dead body? Was it like an open casket? Like, was there, or did you witness her death? And is that, because I'm I curious, cause it's not always, you don't always see, like hear that. So I'm just curious if that's something you did oh, see. Interesting. I, you, you know, in Islam, uh, the women in, of the family are supposed to wash the body of the other women in, in the religion. So I actually got to be in the room for my mother's washing. And I did see her before we buried her. But I, I, I hear that that's not a custom that other religions follow. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. And what's interesting about that, just doing that is, you know, it could be too, your last memory of her was in that form. Mm -hmm. So that's you. Well, the, guess, the, in the dream, she was like, like, there was like, more? yeah, it was like zombie style, like, <laughs> like really scary. So she wasn't like, so as a zombie, was she moving around or was she just dead? Oh, in the dream? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. She, like her face was peeling. There were worms coming out. You know, oh, it was like, I'm not a big zombie watcher. So I had to like <laughs> ask some further questions. <laughs> I, yeah, it was so, like traumatic. Okay. <laughs> that's so interesting. Like what an interesting sequence of dreams to have. And so when you, when you had that second dream and she basically explained everything, did how did that make you feel when you woke up? I think I think it was still very scared. I mean, that it was just like so soon after she had died. I don't know. I just I remember crying a lot that year. Having these dreams and just seeking her in dreams and just waking up in tears or crying in my dreams. So so you had like multiple ones of her? This wasn't yeah. the only? Yeah, we've had uh I've had multiple ones and my um my sister and my dad have seen her in dreams too. So she the does the not same the sister si that same <laughs> I was like, man, she's, she's getting everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is that same sister. She actually just texted me um, yesterday and said that mom had visited her in her dreams last night. And, you know, it's been like eight years since my mom passed away. Um, her birthday's on Saturday. And I just think it's really, uh, there's something tender about sharing like, like mom visits with each other, like mom dream visits with each other over text or conversations. And like, you know, before when we would have dreams about, we would have dreams, it's just like, oh, we would, like no one talks about their dreams. Like that's not a thing people do. And now it's like when mom visits one of us, I mean, usually my youngest sister, she doesn't, she's, I think she's more scared of the unbelievable stuff. So it, this is more of a conversation that I have with my middle sister. And then also with my dad too, my dad will see mom in his dreams. So like whenever any one of us has, mom visit us in our dreams we like say like oh yeah i got a visit from mom the other day and you're just like oh how how does she look how's she doing um and my sister actually just texted and she was like oh yeah mom mom visited my dream and, oh my gosh it was such a surreal text too let me see if i can find it um give me one second i don't even know if you edit your podcast yeah, no, yeah we do but uh no problem i can just talk um you know i was just gonna say <laughs> I think it's uh, it's very interesting what the type of dreams you went through and 
I'm glad that, you know, you said earlier, you could, you know, there's a difference in, in the ones that are, I guess, you feel like are, are more positive. They are different. And that's something we always like to talk about when, when we talk about our dreams, like this, something well, I had a grief dream um, in the summer last year, and it was, it was different than a normal dream. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the feeling that was associated with, you know, I was, I, I had a visitation by my uncle, or I think it was a visitation. And he, it was just definitely a different vibe. There was a joy, there was something in his eyes that was different, that definitely set it apart from other dreams. So I'm glad that you kind of got to experience yeah, sure, you experienced some negative ones, but then I'm glad you got some positive ones because obviously uh, changes the way you view dreaming in general. Yeah, and I also wonder, like, I wonder, you know, like their spirits are supposed to be resting now, you know? Like they're supposed to not be a part of the living world. And I wondered after a while if me just keeping keeping her active and keeping her, like me calling her and asking her to come visit me so constantly, I wasn't letting her rest essentially Mm. i don't know if that makes any sense but that's i was talking to someone about that and i was um a friend that was just like you know after people like after they're gone don't like you we we want them to like we shouldn't always like keep pulling them back and i was like that's true so then i um i've kind of just been consciously like trying to be more in the present instead of being so caught up in dream world and grief and past you know moving forward yeah it's interesting uh i think it Definitely depends on the culture. Uh, we recently uh, learned a little bit more about the Irish, the Irish type of uh, faith. You know, the more about the Catholic kind of idea around it. Uh, it seems to be that it's uh, you know leaving the soul at rest uh, is kind of like the general theme. And you know, if you do kind of see dreams and you know it might be a restless soul and an idea behind that, uh, we even say often you know rest in peace. Right. Um, you know, it's like there's a certain kind of fear around that. I also wonder, like, do they need to rest? Like, I don't know. Like, is it like what's going on on the other side? Right. Like, <laughs> well, so... do they need to be in my life, I guess, is the other <laughs> the flip of that. Like, do, do we need to have them so, so present? I mean, I do think it's kind of cool to have, I mean, this idea of ancestors, ancestors guiding you and, you know, the trauma and joy of the past guiding your present day, like that's kind of a newer concept to me. And I think there's, I just never really thought about that, about how like my ancestors might be out there guiding my life. And that's something that I've been thinking about that. Yeah. I, so I, I think that's important, but I also like don't want her to like always be there in my dream, I guess, you know, let me, I found my sister's text. So apparently, so remember my mom's birthday is on Saturday. My um, two younger sisters went to go visit her grave this weekend so she said that she came to her, um, my mom came to my sister in her dream and she was at a grocery store and she was outside on crutches talking to an older white man. And then she said to the older white man that she came back to life a second time and describing how she was still weak and she kept rubbing her tummy. I was just like, what does it mean that she said she came back to life a second time? Why is she still weak from that? Like, what does, I was, I'm so confounded by this. And my mind's kind of spun out in different <laughs> explanations and different ways of what that could possibly mean. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you believe in reincarnation or no? I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> that's I don't know what yeah. I believe. You know, like, I think. Yeah. 
like I don't think I believe in reincarnation, but honestly, after mom died, like I don't know what I believe anymore. Like everything is possible. Yeah, because it's such an interesting statement to make um, from your mom, and I think it's interesting too that she took it as a visit because yeah. someone say, "Oh, that was just a, that was a weird dream that I had with mom in it." Um, and so I think that's the the I think the uh, the interest of people is like, when is it? When is it not? It, is it mm-hmm. any of them are? Um, but that's sort of a, it's to the dreamer and whatever they need in their life as they move through their grief journey. And I think these dreams are a beautiful thing for a lot of people on their grief journey, especially if they can connect with that love and they feel that love and that presence. So, yeah, you know, I don't think I wouldn't give you too much credit to be able <laughs> to pull to pull your mom like down, because if it was that easy, everyone would be dreaming about this stuff all the time, because I, you know, maybe I have one, two dreams, with my dad now. You know, like I would love it. Like I do this podcast every every week and like you think you become like I would have more dreams of them. Not the case. So I like I don't give myself that much power. A lot of this stuff just happens on its own from what we need inside. And maybe also you never know, maybe what they need. It's, yeah. It's maybe what hard they to need. know. Yeah. But don't you think that like dreams are more powerful than that, though? The thing that I can't stop thinking about is how I had a dream about my mom's death before she died. And so it was about four days before she, she died very suddenly in a, from a sepsis a, attack, I guess. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, her blood became toxic from an infection that she had in her leg and everyone in my family just thought it was flu. And I think it was, it was like, like three days before she died. And I didn't know she was sick because I wasn't living in LA at the time I was in the Bay area. And I had this really crazy dream that I was in the desert and there was all these rocks kind of splayed out. Um, It was basically reminded me of this rocky part of Death Valley. And um, my mom had always told me when I was growing up that, you know, seeing a rattlesnake in your dream is a omen of that death is coming. And then all of a sudden in my dream, I saw this house like just like to the corner of a house and a door. And, and I knew my mom was behind the door and she was trying to come out of the door and walk into the desert and that there was a rattlesnake that was right there. And I could hear the rattlesnake and I think I could see it. And I was trying to yell at her to not come out that there was a rattlesnake there. And, and then I think I woke up and I was breathless. I was scared and I was like I don't know what this means and then I don't you know like I don't even talk to her in those three days before she dies that was that was such an omen you know like that was I mean I don't think I could have prevented anything if this was the path that was meant to happen but maybe dreams are more powerful than that I think that's an amazing story (laughs) like that's an amazing sequence of events because you're right it challenges the mind on what's possible and what some of these dreams may be like you you hear it in with the story of Joseph that you know he had these precognitive dreams and so did the pharaoh so did the baker and what was the other the wine cup holder so everyone was having these dreams mm-hmm. and and so like why can't we now and that's sort of the question and what does that mean when it when it comes to your faith and how you see life if this stuff is almost known a little bit in advance and on maybe when someone passes that it still blows my mind yeah yeah my mom would insist that she uh that she would be able to see things in her dreams too. And I, maybe this also explains my fear of dreams. Like 
that is a dream I'm never, obviously never going to forget in my life. And like, if I know that to be my truth, then what if all these other dreams I have are telling me some other truth that's just equally as scary? And wouldn't it just be easier to forget your dreams when you wake up and like not have to worry about whether that dream was telling you this person was going to die or that person's going to die? Well, that's the challenge, right? Like that's, I think, where you're at. Where you're at, it's like making peace with the reality of that dream and how to move forward with joy. You know, like, because you said, like, it's scary that you may get a, a dream that someone may die. But mm-hmm. if, you're not, if you're not there to prevent it, then it just gives you time to prepare for it. And that's, that's just a, it's just a different perspective. And then you could make that phone call or do that thing that maybe, you know, um, you have to say those last words. So it makes you more in the moment, too. If, if death is the scariest thing that, that you've dreamt of, someone dying, it can just help you, I believe anyways, it can help you just remember that we don't have all the time and we don't know when someone's going to die. So it's like be in the moment as much as you can with that person and try not to leave anything unsaid. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting, though, about the snakes. I never heard anything about that. So it must be like a cultural thing that your mom I know, I, heard that. I'm a, it must, I wonder if it's a Bangladeshi thing. Mm. Um, I don't even know if they have rattlesnakes in Bangladesh. I think rattlesnakes are such a California desert or more deserty thing. And Bangladesh is such a green, uh, verdant kind of a landscape that I, I can't imagine that they have rattlesnakes. But, but yeah, it must, must be cultural. And so like moving on your on your grief journey a little bit. So you've had these wild dreams. Did that dream itself cause you since you well, you didn't want to dream anymore? Did that cause you any kind of discomfort in your grief journey at all? Um with your mom? Like did it prevent anything? Mm, no. no, I mean like I think it it just like made me it definitely like made me realize how powerful my dreams were. I think I've always I always like was in the science part of my brain, the linear part and going like, oh, this is just like my imagination. And then after after that dream, you know how it like after one thing happens, then you start remembering all the other things that might have happened when you were younger and all the other dreams that you might remember from when you were little. And you're like, oh, yeah, I think I used to have more deja vus and I used to think a little see signs differently. So I think that that definitely happened after after that dream happened. And then. Then I definitely got obsessed with with trying to call mom in my dream mm. and trying to remember dreams and see see what I could do with dreams. Mm. I don't think I took a class. I think I was interested in taking a class. I ended up taking a, an in, intuition class last year, but I, I all of a sudden was just like talking to psychics and I was talking to, I was asking everyone about like if they're, dead loved ones visited them in their dreams. I got like really, really obsessed with this idea. And I was just like have, talking to everyone about it. Yeah, well, that's why I do the research because it, it is a very interesting question and an experience that many people have. And yet a lot of people don't share these experiences just because of fear of many things. And sometimes even they don't want their loved ones to be jealous that are still alive, that they've had these experiences. So I'm glad you're bringing up the conversation with people around you and then with your family and they're willing to share with you. Cause I think all that is, I think it's supportive of the movement that this should be talked about. There's a lot of unanswered questions regarding this topic and you know, and you're on a mission to try to figure some of that out, which is, which is great. Yeah. 
I, I actually was like really nervous about talking to my dad about it because he's very dogmatic in his, uh, how he perceives being Muslim. And so he always was kind of like, you know, it's going to be X, Y, Z. And I don't really, you know, he's not, he doesn't have these kind of like, like weird kind of beliefs that I and my sister do. But then he, he mentioned that he, mom came to him in his dream and he was talking about, I think he was talking about how there was flowers or birds around her. And then he went, because this is my dad, who's so dogmatic, he went and asked his imam about it. And the imam said, which is the religious leader in a mosque, the imam said that this is normal and that like people do come visit in dreams. And then all of a sudden, because the imam told him it was okay, he's like, oh yeah, mom visited me in my dream, which <laughs> I think is a little silly, but um, you know, everyone has I think, different I think scaffolding it, of beliefs. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good point. How your dad was unsure how to view the dream. So yeah. talk to this sort of the head and because he said it was okay, then he's able to share it. But if yeah. he didn't, cause I like, I'm guessing in Islam and also like Christianity, I've heard like just in Christianity, I've heard some pastors say, this, this dream is, you know, a lot of people have them and it's, it's okay. Like it's, you know, God's allowing the, the visit or something. I've had other people say this is the devil in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like from the same religion. You're like, dude, what's going on? And so I'm guessing yeah. there's different uh, imams that would have different views based on maybe their own experiences. Cause I'm I don't sure. think there's, so I don't think there's anything in the religious scriptures um, that actually talk about these specific dreams. And that's what makes them a, such a mystery to so many people. You know, when I was growing up, I, I I don't actually go to the mosque very much now, but when I was little, I remember buying a Muslim dream book because I think when I was in high school, I was also obsessed with dreams because I think, I think, you know, like it was one of those things where like me and my teenage friends, we'd buy the dream books and we'd always like, you know, say like, oh, there was a flower in my dream. I'm going to go see what that means. I don't know if you remember these. I, maybe this was just like me and my friends, but then I got the Muslim dream book. I was like, I'm going to buy this. I don't even know if I still have it anymore. More. But I was like trying to see if there was a difference between Muslim dream interpretation versus like non-Muslim dream interpretation. I got really into this for a while. I seeing the book in the, at the mosque definitely like made me think like, oh, this is like an acceptable, an acceptable thing in Islam. Like I'm OK. It's a, like dream interpretation is a thing for us. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually that's pretty cool to hear that uh, dreams in general are accepted, <laughs> even if uh, the deceased coming back might not be. You know, I I I really feel like that, like the I had a similar path like you did, whereas um, I felt that I was I was kind of fearful of the power of the dreams when I was younger. Um, like any kid, I had nightmares, and I think that um, it, it's a very scary thing. So maybe like that's probably why I avoided a lot of uh, understanding about it early on in my life but like you said like when you have them and then you it triggers a lot of other things i i like i had as an adult i've had dreams and it got me thinking about like when i was growing up my mom would be pretty receptive about them and she would even have a lot of grief dreams that she would actually share with us in the family <laughs> and at the time uh you know you just you just kind of uh, i guess embrace the sentiment like, oh, that's nice. He had a dream about grandpa coming back and telling you some things. Okay. Yeah, my mom would do that too. Yeah. Like I, my mom had a lot of, she would even say, she's like, oh, my, my, this is my, her, uh, what's it called? 
father-in-law her father-in-law would come and she's like that's he's my guardian angel and i was like what and he's like he just keeps coming back and, and having seen she keeps seeing him um and what's crazy is my brother i think last year told me that our uncle is our uncle the youngest one on my dad's side is his guardian angel and i was like why didn't you tell me this before? Like, this is wow. like, you, like it, you know, it, it's just something that we sometimes families and people just don't have those conversations, even though they themselves have obviously believed in it. Like they put a name yeah. to it. He's my guardian angel, but they don't want to share that with other people. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I think that just speaks to the lack of kind of knowledge about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's kind of the main thing. And so people are so unsure, um, you know, even pastors, even even imams are just unsure in general. Um, and I think they don't want to steer people in the wrong way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And so now looking, actually, before we we look at the last question, I'm curious about your dad's dreams, because he knows your mom in a different way. I'm curious about them too. I'm curious because the age of the the of your mom. I wonder what age she comes to him to him versus you. Because I'm guessing she's a little older. She's probably like maybe around the time she died. Is that would that be correct? Uh, yeah, she died at the age of 55. She also died extremely overweight. And this is something I think about in in the dreams because when I see her in my dreams, I don't really see her as overweight which i think is a kind of a weird thing because because when she was younger you know when i i think i probably see her in my dreams from like how she was when she was when i was like five years old like that weight Mm -hmm. is what i kind of like see her in my dreams and that but i don't see her as the weight that she was when she died which i think is interesting my dad is um not very communicative (laughs) and he's kind of like one of those like immigrant dads that's very like kind of gruff and so he'll say like, oh, I saw your mom in my dream. I was like, what does she look like? What is she doing? And then he's just like, oh, she was there. And I was just like, I want more details. <laughs> so he doesn't really give me details. Just the fact that he mentioned something is like, okay. Like that was, that's all that's important is that she was there and she's okay. All right. Well, you got some homework now. <laughs> you get to probe a little further. <laughs> so hard. So much fun. Like, it's like more fun to talk to my sister about it because I can probe her and she'll like reveal more. But she's also a little hard to communicate with. I want to talk to someone who's like, like will be gregarious with their storytelling, (laughs) which is no one else in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Or you just wait a couple more years and maybe technology finds a way to record your dreams. And then you just get the, uh, the video recording of their dreams and just watch it on your own. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I don't ever want anyone to have that opportunity to see into my dreams. <laughs> I'd give it 10, 15 years. It's gotta be. It's gotta be a thing someone's uh someone's gonna make. <laughs> oh yeah. There's definitely a venture capitalist out there funding this already. <laughs> All right. So this has been actually a really fun conversation and I got to sort of learn a lot about the way you view dreams and ghosts and just your life in general on your, your journey on, on trying to maintain that continuing bond and the different ways that you tried to remain connected with your mom and to see her yeah. again. And I'm happy you get to see her in a healthy way. So she's not overweight anymore. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I so think that's interesting too. Yeah. She's not, it's almost a lot of these dreams actually are like the deceased is healthier than they were when they died. 
And I always think mm-hmm. that's fascinating that it's not the image of who they were when they died. Like it's not a carry forward of, of the life they had when they were living. This is like a new form. And I think there's something about that. I think why people may view them as visits or why people get comfort in them is because they're looking so healthy and it, it changes how you view that image because it's not a memory per se. Um, it's something a little bit more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely have talked to other people about this, about just like, I, I think, you know, I had a really powerful meeting with a psychic, I think about eight months after she died, I did, it was a friend who I didn't realize was a psychic and we were sitting and eating dinner at this event. And then she out of nowhere just looks to me and says, um, you, you have your mother's cheeks. And I was like, how do you know this? You've never seen my mother. And she's like, Oh, I, she's standing behind you. And I of course freaked out. And, um, but I had been like wanting a sign for my mom so badly that like that um, that that was such a powerful moment. And so then she just um, started giving me all these messages that my mom was telling her just about, you know, that she's okay, that she's surrounded by tiny birds, um, that her being behind me means that she has my back, that she's supporting me. Um, it was super powerful. And in that conversation, she was the one that was saying, well, you're the one who has the ability to dream in a way that no one else in your family does. So she's not going to, you're not going to feel her. You're going to see, you know, you're going to have her feel her in your dreams and um, that I shouldn't be jealous of my sister who could actually like feel her sensation. And so ever since then, I kind of really ran with it, I guess. That's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of weird, like when your friend says, "Hey, by the way," <laughs> yeah. like, you're like, "Wait a second, what? Who else do you see?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. She uh, she got a lot of messages from from the beyond, so she was a little kooky. <laughs> it's, it's a wild life. All right, so we're gonna wrap up the podcast with our last question, and that is, if you could have a dream tonight of your mom, what dream would? How would that dream look like to you? Hmm. Like what I would what I would want or what would pro- will probably happen. What you would want? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm pretty much before I was always trying to like have conversations with her in my dreams, but I think I've resolved all the conversations that I need to have with my mom. What is happening when I do dream of my mom uh, as of late, or what I would want to happen is just like just having her presence in my dream. I dream actually. My dream in my dreams, I travel a lot. I'm always like on an airplane or a boat, or I'm always going somewhere. And so, um, and I'm sometimes going with my siblings or I'm going with friends, but I'm basically on the go. I'm always traveling. So I would imagine that she was, would also just be like going with me someplace in a dream. All right. So let's try to figure this out. Where do you guys want to be going? Anywhere. <laughs> You can go to the afterlife if you wanted. <laughs> be on a plane yeah. at the terminal. <laughs> well, when I was talking to the psychic about it, they're like, not this, not the kooky psychic, but another set of psychics. They're like, oh, you you often go to different worlds. And I think I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, that actually kind of makes sense because a lot of in my dreams, I'm, I am experiencing just like new landscapes I've never seen in this lifetime before. So that kind of makes sense. Just kind of like otherworldly places. 
I imagine my mom would want to be somewhere with water, though, because she always liked beaches. I've been dreaming a lot about, I think it, I must have just had a dream about being on a boat or being in the ocean, because that's coming to my mind. So you want to be in the movie Waterworld with Kevin Costner? <laughs> no, that's scary. I'm <laughs> thinking more like, more like a dream vacation on an island beach. <laughs> yeah, she's not trying to fend off pirates. <laughs> not, I'm not trying to be in the apocalypse in my dream. <laughs> I'm trying to like relax on and drink Mai Tais on the beach or something. What's that movie? Oh, Avatar. Maybe like Avatar. You're visiting a new world, you know, tree of life. I Water. haven't seen that, but maybe oh, that's... No. <laughs> I watch a lot of rom-coms and comedies. All right, that's cool. All right, that's a very interesting dream, that visit another world with your mom. Um, that's kind of cool that you want to do that. And you're a fan of traveling, and she's a fan of water, so why not put them together? I like it. And so hopefully you can watch Avatar and maybe get a dream. <laughs> <laughs> watch it before sleep. Because the second one's like... coming out, I believe, this year. Avatar 2. Is it like a neon year. world? Neon it's, and it's it's really beautiful actually i think you might enjoy the movie it, there is some romance in there i, I will try it out <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're just going to wrap up the podcast where can people find all your stuff your website um your podcast can you shout out your handles yeah you can find me at tazzy star on all the socials uh, my website's tazzystar.me and the podcast is Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing stuff. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, Taz. Um, you know, it, it's really inspiring to speak to someone who represents uh, South Asian communities so well. And someone oh, thank who's you. Done, yeah, someone who's done so much in the political sphere and uh, sphere, excuse me, not sphere. Uh, and uh, again, like, uh, congratulations on the podcast, uh, making it to five years. Uh, it's a I know that's it's not as easy as it kind of sounds, but uh, here you are and, and successful. And, and yeah, we look forward to kind of hearing you more and seeing you. Maybe I'll see you at the Aga Khan Museum. Uh, that's oh, right. And, and we'll give out the date. When is that again? That is April 13th at Excellent. the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto. And so what will you be doing there? We, we should probably mention that too. <laughs> We're doing a live show. We're doing a live Good Muslim, Bad Muslim show. Excellent. So anybody in the Toronto area, Niagara area, people uh, who can make it out there, definitely do so. I think uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Maybe not uh, surprised, but you know, you'll have a great time. <laughs> you'll enjoy it. <laughs> you'll enjoy it. Um, great. So people can uh, check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. Uh, we added don uh, a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. Uh, again, thank you, Taz. And we'd like to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very 
good conversation.